All right, well, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, if you have a Bible, flip on over to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, or scroll on over there if you got the Bible on your, your phones. We're going to be in 14 through 21 uh, this morning. Uh, back in the fall, if you were around, you may remember that we began a journey through the New Testament book or letter to the church in the city of Corinth, a, a, a pretty funky little city. And uh, we, we as a church, we love walking straight through books of the Bible uh, so that we're forced to, to talk about things that, that we might not just naturally gravitate towards. Uh, just a moment of confession, I got a, a few soapboxes, right? And so uh, I, I'll just tend to stand on my soapboxes uh, if I don't have something saying, this is what you need to do. And so I, I commit to, to preaching through books of the Bible, so I just have to go with whatever's next. And so that's, that's nice. And uh, it also helps us to, to, to really make sure that we're looking at the things that God has put in the scripture so that we uh, can look at them because he wants us to, to hear them. But from time to time what we'll do is we'll, we'll pause uh, to look at some specific topics and things that are facing our church family or we'll pause for various seasons that we find ourselves in. And so two and a half months ago we paused for Christmas and for Advent and went into the Advent season and uh, then we jumped into the new year and really felt like God wanted us to to continue on the hold on 1 Corinthians and really focus in on prayer. So we've been digging into uh, the Lord's Prayer. And I just got to say, my heart is still so full from that season of just prayer together with you guys, knowing that we were praying for the same things, but then also just praying the Lord's Prayer, not like this rote kind of way where I, you know, I memorized it as a kid, but really praying it in a deep, meaningful way. So just so, so good. Hope you're still still praying like that and with that that fervor and vigor and so I know I know that I am but now here we are two and a half months later and we're back in first Corinthians and so if you're newer uh, you can go to the church app and catch up on the series there or you can go to iTunes and listen to it on the podcast but uh, we're going to be in first Corinthians with a sermon that I've just uh, I've had a lot of time to anticipate and I'm just so uh, looking forward to preaching for you and that is a sermon on spiritual family. And I think it's kind of cool. My brother is here with me this weekend. This is Nick over here. And so of all weekends, we're talking about spiritual family. I got my, uh, got my brother here with me. And so uh, it makes it more fun for this sermon because I, I get to you know, kind of reflect back a little bit on, on some of the things that, that we went through. And I, I was reflecting back on my mother uh, saying, boys, you're going to have to learn how to love each other, you know. Or, or my dad, when I used to beat this guy all the time, my dad saying, one day, son, he's going to grow up be bigger than you and he's going to beat you. And, and sure enough, I go off to college and uh, he kept growing and grew well past the six foot mark while I just say, well, we'll just say I was just shy of the six foot mark. And uh, fortunately for me, mom, if you're listening via podcast in the uh, cloud right now, uh, we have learned to love each other. And so, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's cool to have him here. And, uh, you know, as, as friends can come and go, oftentimes family remains. And so my, I guess my opening question for all of you is, have you learned to enjoy and, and love your spiritual family? We're in such a transient city. People are in and out and here for a, a fellowship or here for college or here for a short season and they move out or you have kids and you move to the suburbs. But, but, but God wants you to learn to love your, your spiritual family. I believe that one of the best gifts that God has given us is spiritual family. And so in addition to your biological family, preferably even overlapping your biological family, God has given us spiritual family. And so as we get into the text this morning, what I want to do is I want to do things a little backwards, literally, and start in the last verse. And so we'll put the scripture on the screen for you. And I want you to look down to the last verse there. And let's, let's see what Paul says here. He says, 
He says, what do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love in a spirit of gentleness? So by way of refresher, this is the Apostle Paul uh, writing this letter to a church that he started in the city of Corinth, uh, a church he started just, just a few years earlier. He spent a year and a half with this church. And so the second longest stint that he spent with the church, before, the other church was uh, the church of Ephesus. He was there for, for three years. And he's kind of like a dad uh, raising up spiritual children. But then he left as he would do and he would go to another urban center to start uh, another church to tell more people about Jesus. And as, as people came to know Jesus, a church was, was born. And so uh, shortly after, he, he left after a year and a half. And, and it wasn't long after he left that things in Corinth with the church just started to get crazy, right? These guys were were wild ones no doubt it sounds a lot like teenagers so don't raise your hand please don't raise your hand but think back I wonder if any of you as a teen had a situation where mom and dad went out of town for the weekend and uh, you were home alone and uh, and the manner in which dad returns has a lot to do with how you behave while mom and dad are gone. I didn't have any issues with that. As a, I don't know about you when I went off to college, uh, but, but I, I did all right. Uh, uh, there were no wild parties uh, in the house with me, but uh, I'm assuming you were innocent too, bro. Uh, but Paul is asking, he's saying this, he's saying, when I return, when I come back to, to Corinth, uh, what do you want for my return? What do you want for my return? Do you want a disciplinary visit or, or do you want a, a joyful, loving, warm reunion? And, and I want to be clear too because even a disciplinary visit is loving. Hebrews chapter 12 uh, verse 6 uh, says the Lord disciplines the ones that he, he loves. He chastises every son whom he receives. Now as a kid I, I totally did not believe my mother when she would discipline me and say I do this because I love you. I'm like ha yeah right this is not because of love but but now I can say to my I really get it right I really get it. I, I don't enjoy disciplining my children but I discipline them because I love them right like what kind of dad would I be if I, I let my kids do things that would ultimately hurt them and, and just avoiding discipline simply because I wanted to be the cool dad the fun dad the happy all the time dad. And Paul is saying to them, he's saying, listen, I would love for you to heed my warnings that I'm giving you through this letter because I want you to know that they are for your good. Don't you want me to come back when I come back, if the Lord wills, whenever that is? Don't you want me to come back in a spirit of gentleness and a loving reunion rather than a disciplinary reunion? Let me come back. Let me come back with, with a gentle tone. Please take heed of these warnings. And if you were to skip ahead to the next chapter, chapter 5 and 6, you start to see some of the warnings. He gets into some really tough stuff. So we've got some heavy stuff to address in the, the weeks ahead. Uh, but, but, but here, this last section of chapter 4 really sets the tone for the warnings that he's going to give them. We really get Paul's heart. He, he establishes, here's my, my heart. Here's how I'm addressing these issues. And so we've started at the end. Hopefully you kind of get a little taste of where Paul's going with all this. But now let's go up to the beginning and look with me at uh, 14 of chapter 4. He says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And so right out of the gate here, we hear from Paul his goal and we hear 
his heart in the tough stuff that he's going to share in chapter 5 and, and chapter 6 and even beyond. The goal, he says, it's not shaming, right? That is never, never the heart of God to bring shame. And, and just a little theological foundation for this. If you go all the way back to the beginning of the book, the beginning of the Bible, the be- beginning of, of, of history, and, and you learn a little bit about the creation of, of man and woman, just foundational theology in Genesis chapter 2, God makes man and, and woman, and he is so pleased. He says, this is good. And he says, uh, it just, it just, he's, his joy, what, what he's created, he's, this is his prized creation. Everything that he makes is good. He makes man and woman. He goes, okay, now it's all very good good and then it says that they were naked and they were not does anybody remember this they were not ashamed they're naked and they're not ashamed so that's exactly what God wants God wants uh, total exposure he wants you to be open before him and have no sense uh, of shame but then the next chapter turn the page Genesis chapter 3 sin enters into the world and so does so does shame and so the immediate reaction of, of man and woman is they cover themselves up with fig leaves, right? And they, they, they make some claws somehow of, of, of some covering with fig leaves. The problem with fig leaves is that they wither. And so fig leaves will, will wither. And so God finds them and, and they're hiding. He says, who told you you were naked? Why, do you, why are you feeling shame? He, it was a rhetorical question. He knew why they were feeling shame. He knew that they ha, had sinned against him. And, and so God then goes on and pronounces the judgments that's coming because of the sin and the hope that's coming, that, that a Messiah is coming. So he, he pronounces that. But then you see God then immediately takes care of their shame and he then gives them animal skin to cover up with, which is a really crazy but beautiful prophetic picture that the very first animal had to die so that their skins could be used to cover man and woman because fig leaves wither, skins do not. And it's a prophetic picture of the fact that Jesus would die as the final ultimate sacrifice to cover your sin and your shame. And so what we get here, just foundational theology to God's heart for you is that God does not want shame. God wants you to feel uh, just, just open before him and, and, and he's made a way for that through Jesus and so Paul is saying that the exact same thing here he's saying I I as a follower of of Jesus I don't want shame for you my goal is not shame the goal is to he says to admonish you which means to to warn you away from something that is dangerous to to protect you to to lead you towards God's best for you because as spiritual children uh, you don't know best right and, and I don't know best, right? God knows best. And, and, and just like with, with my own kids, right? I face this every single day that they think that they know what's best for them. They think that Valentine's Day candy for breakfast is a, a perfectly balanced meal. And that's really good for me. And I, I want to I have, they think that it's just, it's great in rush hour to play football in, in the street in front of our house. Like we think that, but I say, no, no, you don't know what's best for you. You got to trust that, that I love you. You got to trust that I am pursuing your best interest as your father and Paul is saying listen I know what's I know what's best for you and I'm I'm warning you I'm admonishing you away from something that's that's dangerous for you because verse 14 as he says you are my you're my beloved children now here's what Paul's going to do throughout this letter hopefully you've already been picking up on this is is Paul is 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 constantly showing them the, the shortcomings of cultural norms cultural paradigms and he's giving them new gospel Jesus centered 
paradigms, right? These, these massive paradigm shifts. And so think with me through, through the scriptures uh, in 1 Corinthians that we've looked at already uh, through some of the, the cultural paradigm shifts that he's given them. First of all, he says, Christians, you, you are not chosen because you are qualified as though you're better than other people. No, the new paradigm is, hey, you need to understand you are weak and you are foolish and, and God uses the things that are weak and that are foolish to shame the strong. So don't think more highly of yourself than you ought. Uh, another paradigm is spiritual leaders uh, are not celebrities. That makes sense in their world of sophistry and, and, and oratory excellence. He says, no, spiritual leaders are not celebrities, right? They're, they're not these skilled orators. He says, no, spiritual leaders, here's the new paradigm, spiritual leaders are servants. Spiritual leader, if you remember, he says, are at the back of the, the procession, right? Uh, he, he goes on, there, there's other things that he talks about. Uh, God's wisdom, right? He says, God's ways, God's wisdom, it will not be celebrated by the world. The new paradigm is that our faith will be despised. Our faith will be seen as foolishness to the rest of the world. So don't follow Jesus to get some street cred, right? That's not why you're doing it. And and then here, paradigm that he's giving us is that the church is not, it's not a a corporation. It's not some great institution uh, like all the other corporations and institutions of the world with with business-like, professional-type relationships. He goes, no, here's the new paradigm. The new paradigm is that the church is like a family. The church is like a family, and you've got spiritual siblings, you got siblings who, they got your back. They're going to celebrate when it's appropriate. They're going to they're weep when it's appropriate, right? Weep with those who weep and, and rejoice with those who rejoice. Uh, they're going to intervene on your behalf if they think that you're, you're hurting yourself in some capacity, right? This is God's paradigm shift, is that this institution is not like any other institution out there. This institution is like a loving family with brothers and sisters and we are to grow together similar to the way that a a family grows together that that we mature together and so this is just an incredibly important paradigm shift for them but it's also I think for for many of us a paradigm shift some of you have been around church in some capacity uh, for a very long time some of you are brand new to this whole thing or you you grew up in a different style church and, and and maybe this is just a massive paradigm shift maybe maybe for you when you think church I I just imagine all kinds of different things come to to mind if we were to survey when when I say the word church some of you you get warm fuzzy feelings of your childhood of of Christmas candlelight services or or a a beautiful wedding or you had some close friends in the church others of you maybe you get you get negative feelings when you think of of church when you think of your childhood and and how bored out of your mind and how unrelevant unrelatable it seemed to you or maybe a, a mean nun at parochial school or 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 that out of place feeling when you walked in and you just felt so different from from everybody else and and I can certainly relate to that I've been on both sides of warm feelings and 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 negative feelings and and loving this faith family and feeling like this is a bunch of bogus hypocrisy of just going through the motion I've been all over the place in the spectrum of of churches and and what I could stand up here and do right now is I could stand up here and just bash it all right I could just I could just bash it all and get you worked up that's really trendy right now is just to bash the church as if like we've got it together and all these other churches are are way screwed up and I could I could uh you know play off of all your negative feelings and talk about how we're all your positive feelings and they're all bad and we're all good but instead can I just I just want to make an observation and that is that 
that as I've kind of been through these seasons of my own life and, and various church settings that I've been in as, I, as I've moved around the, the East Coast, you know, as I think back, I think the major distinctive between the positive seasons and the negative seasons, the positive experiences and the negative experiences, it was not the quality of music. It, it was not the oratory skill of a preacher. It was not how beautiful the building was, or if it was even our own building. It was not the, the amount of programming that was offered uh, for, for my kids. The major distinctive between the positive and the negative experience was meaningful relationships. It was the people that I was with, the people that I was rubbing shoulders with. Some of my strongest seasons of church life were marked by meaningful relationships. Now, this is, this is huge because usually, as I look back in my own life and as I've talked to people and surveyed the land, so to speak, the meaningful relationships weren't really contingent upon that particular church. They usually were contingent upon me. The, the, the depth of the relationships was usually contingent upon me. What, what I mean is, is the times that I lacked meaningful relationships was not because the church failed to provide them for me. The times that I lacked meaningful relationships was the, the times that I didn't engage in them because I was so busy with a, something, an educational pursuit or, or I was prioritizing something else or I was in a rough patch in my life and I just kind of wanted to isolate and seclude when I, I really needed people. And, 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 and I'm not encouraging you to just, hey, just go to any church and just get relationships and you'll be good. That's not what I'm saying because I do think you have to kind of find a church that has the biblical qualifications, Bible-believing, Jesus-centered, worshipful, biblical leadership, prayer-driven, focused on the mission that Jesus has, has given us. But there are lots of churches like that. I mean, all over the place. And, and, and I'll tell you, after you find that church, it still isn't going to be perfect. After you find that church, you are going to have to engage in meaningful relationships. Meaningful relationships are largely contingent upon you. We've made it really clear here that the, the simple avenues that, that we're trying to give you, just, just really simple avenues are, are groups and teams. That if you can, can, can jump into a group, of people who are going to be different from you and you're, it's not going to, you're just going to walk in the room necessarily and immediately like we're all like best friends for 10 years kind of feeling. You're going to have to work at it, right? But if you plug into a group, that's, that's an avenue. Uh, another avenue is plug into a team. Some of you, I got to work with my hands and as I'm serving, I'm serving alongside of people and I build relationships with people and I'm doing something and that's how you develop a team. And, and I'm telling you, that's, that, the, that's the avenue, right? We have to, have to pursue meaningful relationships and it's, it demands some discipline for us, right? They're very easy to avoid, and they're very challenging at times to engage in. But they are essential for your spiritual maturity. Here's the big idea for today. The big idea for today, if you were to write one thing down, is that a meaningful relationship with spiritual family is essential for your spiritual maturity. It is essential for your spiritual maturity. This is how God has designed it. Just like a healthy relationship with your biological family is essential for your social maturity. Meaningful relationship with spiritual family is essential for spiritual maturity. Some of us struggle as adults because of a father wound. Some of us struggle as adults because of some kind of maternal wound. Some of us struggle as adults because of uh, rough relationships growing up with uh, a sibling. And it's so true that just like with your biological family, with your spiritual family, you, you need them for health and for spiritual 
maturity. Nick, you need to know that those beatdowns were for your good, right? We, we were doing those things for your good. No, th- those formative years, right, of our childhood, right? And, and think back to your childhood. You, you're learning with siblings and with other children. You're learning how to share. You're learning how to not have the world centered around you. You're learning how to disagree, and then we'd go sleep in the same bedroom at night, right? Anybody share a room with your sibling, right? My kids do, and they stay up late into the night talking, and sometimes I'll peek in and listen and just think it's the best thing ever, and I flash back to our childhood in the same room. We, we, we learned how to look out for each other, right? We learned lessons that way, learned how to look out for each other. I was thinking back to, there was this time when this one kid stole my bike, and uh, my, my little brother of three years younger than me, he got that crazy Wyatt look in his eyes, you know, the kid's riding off with a bike, and he's, oh, no, you don't mess with my brother, and he chased the kid down, and the kid's on bike, and my brother's running and jumps like a panther and leaps on the kid and the bike at the same time. Here you go, bro. Here's your bike back. He gives me my bike back. But he, he got like a, you know, like a handlebar to the rib, peg to the, to the leg, right? And isn't that how it's supposed to be with Christians? We're supposed to beat people who mess? No, I'm just kidding. How, how, it's, supposed to be with, how it's supposed to be with Christians is, is, is we're looking out for each other. And, and if we see that there's a sin that's destroying somebody we, we love, a, a brother or a sister in Christ, it might hurt a little bit, right? It might be a, a peg to the leg, a handlebar to the rib. It might, it might hurt a little bit, but we're willing to, to, to go through a little bit of pain because we care for them. That's, what, that's really what Galatians 6.1 says, right? If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should seek to restore them in a spirit of gentleness, being careful so that you don't get tripped up as well. What it's saying is if, if you're spiritual or if you're spiritual family, you should be looking out for other people. And that could, Anybody been there? That's awkward when you, you see somebody doing something that's hurting themselves or, 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 or going away from the ways of, of Jesus. And, and, and in love, you, you, you approach them and say, listen, I love you. You are family. I just want to establish that I, I love you. But I also just want to show you that, that, that this particular area is, is, is not good for you. And, and it, it's, hard to, it's, it's hard to have those conversations. I can think back to a few of those conversations in my own life, and usually they don't go, immediately go, you are so right. Bless you for sharing that with me. That just, wow, you really do love me, right? No, in fact, I don't think that's ever happened. It's always been like, what? Who do you think you are, right? Or I can't believe, and I, it doesn't matter how gentle I am. A lot of times they get, and there, there's like the peg, you know, it hurt a little bit, and then I go limping off, and then sometime later, Sometimes it's been a week, it's been a month, it's been a year or more. Later, people come back like, wow, you know what? On this side of divorce, where I thought the grass was greener, you were right. On this side of this particular struggle, you were right. Or this side of that relationship, you know, you're right. And not, it's not that I'm right. I'm, I'm just saying, I'm trying to point you to Scripture. And, and that's, that's kind of the tough stuff of, of being spiritual family that we have. To, you are essential to their spiritual maturity. Look around you. You're, you're essential. Well, not me. I'm not, I'm not all that essential. I mean, the pastors are essential, but not me. No, you are essential to the spiritual maturity of the people around you, and the people around you are essential to the spiritual maturity of, of you. And that's why you can look around, and, and, and maybe even in your own life, and a lot of times, most of the time, the level of your involvement and your commitment to faith family oftentimes really mirrors the level of, of spiritual maturity that you are, are seeing, right? And so, a meaningful relationship with church is essential for your spiritual maturity. But, but just so we're clear, church is people, 
right? We're clear on that? I think it's easier to be clear on that here when we're in a public school. I get a little nervous at the, the, the prospect of having our own space someday uh, because I, I just want to make sure when we do that, when we get there, that it's not, oh, now this is, we're never going to call that building our church, whatever that building is. This is our church right here, you right here. We could step out on the sidewalk. This is our church. Wherever we are, we are church. And so just want to be very clear on that. It's not an hour and a half block of time. It's not a, a, a space. It's not the institution. It's, it's God's people. We are church, and we are essential for each other. In fact, can I just bring you quickly to a, another passage of Scripture? You don't have to flip there. Keep your finger on First uh, Corinthians, but uh, I want to bring you to Ephesians chapter 4 uh, rather quickly. We'll put it on the screen for you. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. This is just a, such an important passage of Scripture for you to catch this. Uh, I want to I read it for you here. Uh, let's just read the whole thing. Check this out. This is Paul as well to, to the church that he spent a, a three-year period with. Here's what he says to them. He says, And he gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. That's the church. Until we all attain the unity of faith and of knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. Could you give me those last two words? One, two, three, go. Mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head. So we grow up by speaking to each other the truth with love in our hearts, we grow up into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's break this down rather quickly here. Verse 11, he's talking about various kinds of church leaders, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teacher. Verse 12, their job is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Who are the saints? Football team? No, the saints are you, right? He starts that letter to the saints of Ephesus. That means everybody who's a follower of Jesus, not some special high class of Christians. Everybody who follows Jesus, you're a saint. And, and the work of those spiritual leaders are to equip the people of God to do the work of the ministry, to equip you to serve each other and to serve our world well. And, and so that's, that's how church is supposed to function, not like this professional level of Christians who, who do all the ministry and, and help, 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 but to prepare you so that you can help each other. That's what this sermon really is, right? Is me trying to prepare you so that you can serve each other and care for each other and mutually build up each other, right? It says you will build up the body of Christ, that's the church, into mature manhood or womanhood. You will mature as we prepare you so that you can help mutually mature each other. And then skip all the way down to verse 16. And then the whole body joined together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, that means when you're doing something, you're plugged into the church, you're using your gifts in the life of the church, makes the body grow and it builds itself up. That you build yourself up, you mutually mature each other. As the, the scriptures also say, iron sharpening iron. How do we grow? We grow by us equipping you as leaders so that you can know the scriptures and then apply the scriptures horizontally to each other. And that's how the body grows up. We are a family that is mutually maturing each other, just like 
my siblings were very much a part of my maturing into social adulthood maturity. And similarly, your spiritual family, your brothers and sisters are very important to you growing up in spiritual maturity. But back to 1 Corinthians again. In chapter 4, verse 15 now, a family has brothers and sisters and children, but a family also has fathers and mother. Remember Paul says, my beloved children, though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. In other words, you've got tons of voices, countless voices in Christ. So they're in Christ. It's not that they're, they're bad voices necessarily. You have people who in Christ are speaking into your life, but he says, but there's, there's something to be said about the unique role of a spiritual father, a spiritual leader. So next question to you is, do you follow spiritual leadership? Or dare I say, do you have spiritual authority in your life? Oh, cringe. Oh gosh, did he just say authority? Like we hate that word, don't we? Authority, leadership. When, when you throw out the word authority or, or leadership, and, and then especially when we put the word spiritual in, in front of it, for some of us, probably many of us, the hair on the back of your neck just kind of stands up. Your mind goes to the Inquisition. Your, your mind goes to torture chamber. Maybe your mind goes to, to oppression of women. And I get it. And I, I, I feel it too. I just kind of get a little nervous talking about spiritual authority. But that's not how the scriptures speak to spiritual authority or spiritual leadership. I mean, think again, if we were to compare it to a biological family, doesn't a family need leadership? Doesn't a family need authority. I don't know where I would be if it weren't for my parents who cared for me and, and helped me and exercised authority in my life, flawed as they may be and flawed as I am as a, a spiritual leader for, for many of you. I don't know where I would be without out them. But let me ask you to do something really difficult. I mean, probably impossible for just a minute. Step outside of your cultural moment for just a moment. Let's try to step outside of the culture that we're in for, for just a moment. And let's think upon our cultural moment as an anthropologist, if we can. Can we try that? I, probably completely impossible. Think about it. We are Western Europeans. We live on this side of the Enlightenment, which means that 99% of us Americans are hyper-individualistic. In fact, anthropologists will say that we are the most individualistic society in all of human history. And there are people groups, even today, where everyone is wearing the same garment. Like, everyone has matching robes. Can you imagine that? Like, not in America, right? Like, two women go into a party, and they're wearing the same dress. One woman goes home, right? Like, that's, this, that's not how we roll here in, in America. Right? Our, our nation was founded on rebellion to authority, right? Our, our nation was, was founded with the, the Revolutionary War. We, we rebelled against the people on the other side of the pond. And, and so I think ingrained in every single one of us is this, this anti-authoritarian, individualistic, especially if you're a Bostonian, right? Like it started here, right? And so we're, 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 I get that, right? And on top of that, we have seen authority abused in so many, like every spectrum of life where there's leadership of any kind, we, we've seen authority abused from, from Nixon to, 
to, to Clinton, to, to televangelists asking for money from like vulnerable old ladies who are shut in at home so that they can go and, and, and make off with their money and build big houses and big, build big buildings, to, to megachurch pastors having mistresses on, on the side, to the Catholic priest scandal abusing uh, little boys. I mean, I get it, right? I totally get like it's it's challenging when we think about spiritual leadership, spiritual uh, authority. But Paul says, let me just be let me be clear. Here's what it looks like. It looks like a father. Which some of you are like, well, that doesn't help at all either. (laughs) Because some of you had had deadbeat dads. And so this is tough for you. And so I always have to be sensitive when I speak to God as a father. Paul here saying I as a spiritual leader want to be like, a father, but, but try to imagine the kind of father that God calls men to be. The kind of parent God calls people to be. And Paul is saying, imagine the, the perfect father. Imagine the, 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 the person who cares for you at the deepest level and who hurts when you're hurt and, and, and cries when you cry and, and knows you so well. Imagine that kind of father who's in tune with your your, your ups and your downs and how you're, you're feeling. Paul, Paul says what we need for spiritual maturity is not just brothers and sisters horizontally. We also need spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers. We need, we need people who will lead us. And, and if you're a parent for any length of time, you know that, that parenting is not glamorous. Parenting is not sitting on a throne and dictating some, some, some things around, right? Like parenting is humbling i mean you like lose i'm driving a stinking minivan y'all i mean can i go any further it's humbling right it's it's humbling i don't i don't get home and 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 hop in a leather chair and start dictating orders to my children no i come home and i have to get into the thick of it with with my wife and from like six o'clock till nine nine o'clock sometimes even ten o'clock these days at night man i'm just picking up trash after children and 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 we're trying to learn how to do long division again you know so i can reteach it to my my kids and we're, we're cooking meals and we're we're doing laundry and we're we're reading stories and we're 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 playing ball and we're chasing kids around the house and wrestling and on the floor being a princess and and having hard conversations and writing emails to teachers about what did you mean when you, you said this or, or, or trying to lead by example and, 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 and interact with, with my neighbors and my, my, my cashiers and all these people in my life well knowing that, that my children are, are watching, right? And Paul says, listen, for your spiritual maturity, what you need is not just another voice. Those are helpful. Another guide. you got countless guides. What you need is a spiritual parent. What you need is someone to lead you, but be careful here, not just lead, but lead you in Christ. If you look back in this text here three times, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. The goal is, is not to flex authority. and It makes me feel good to be a leader or something. That's, that's not the goal. The goal is to help you to grow up in Christ. And so read with me. Again, let's just, 15, and then we'll just read all the way through the passage and we'll round third base here. 15, he says, for, for though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant as though I were not coming, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills, and I will find out not 
the talk of these arrogant people, but their power, right? Like he's saying, talk is cheap. Like show me God's power in your life. Verse 20, for the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? So, so you need spiritual siblings who are going to walk alongside of you. But you also need spiritual parents of sort who will walk in front of you and who are able to say, imitate me. And Paul is very careful later in 1 Corinthians 11, if you were to flip on over there in verse 1, he's very careful to say, imitate me, but don't just imitate me. Imitate me as I imitate Christ, right? Parents, you get this. If you're a parent, you, you completely get that this comes naturally. You don't have to like dictate, do what I do. <laughs> they just do what you do. And man, there's times where, where something will happen. I'm like, where did they get that from? And my wife will look at me like, mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, yeah, <laughs> That's, they got that from me, didn't they? Oh, man. And spiritual leadership is a very broad term. And it can, it can be applied to, to pastors and elders. It can be applied to to connection group leaders and to connection group hosts, to, to ministry team leaders, to, to some of you who've led someone else to Jesus and they're looking to you as a spiritual leader. Your, your role is to walk in front of them in a sense. Your role is to, to live a life that's worthy of imitation. And, and a, a life worthy of imitation doesn't mean you live a life perfectly because if that's, that's like the prerequisite, none of us would lead anybody, Right? I mean, it freaks me out to, to think that Paul says, I want you to lead and, and then be able to say imitate. But, but one of the ways you can say imitate me is imitate me as I repent. Like imitate me when I fall. Like this is how I fall because we're all going to fall, but then I quickly repent and, and deal with, with the repercussions of my, my sin and, and deal in a way that's, that's reflective of what Jesus has, has called us to. So it's a broad term. You as a parent, can be a spiritual leader as a friend who led somebody to Jesus or a spiritual leader. You lead any kind of ministry. You're a spiritual leader. And Paul says, listen, imitate me. And the precedent that he's setting for you who are going to lead in some capacity is to, to be imitatable. It's not arrogant. It's not arrogant to say imitate me. In fact, if you were to, if you remember the, the verses preceding this passage that we're reading here, verses 8 through 13, Think about what he said. He said, we are sentenced to death. We're treated as fools. We're held in disrepute. We're hungry. We're poorly dressed. We're homeless. We're beat. We're slandered. We're treated like the scum of the earth. Imitate me. Uh, no, thank you, Paul. <laughs> right? So he's, it's, it's not like an imitate me. I'm so awesome. No, it's like this way of life where I've laid everything aside because I've, I found that nothing is more important than following Jesus. Im imitate that. He goes on in what we're looking at here and says, I, I sent to Timothy to remind you of my ways in Christ. See, Timothy shows up a lot in the New Testament letters that Paul writes. He, he hung out with Paul, and he's probably the one who, who, who came. Remember, uh, the, the Chloe's people reported the problem, if you remember, back to the beginning of the letter, and then Paul probably wrote this letter and sent it with Timothy back to uh, the church here. And so he says, remember, I, I'm sending you, you, Timothy, to remind you of my way in Christ. Timothy is here so that you can see and remind, remember how, how I lived, right? Remember my, my lifestyle. Your, your faith has drifted and you need someone to, to get in front of you and, and to show you how, how to walk and how to live and how to practically live out the, the writings of, of Scripture, right? You're, you're off, First Corinthian church. 
He said, you're off. They, they drifted towards self-gratification. They drifted towards uh, self-serving. They, they drifted towards self-exaltation. They, they drifted towards, uh, you know, factions and, and all kinds. They were off. They, they needed a father. They needed a father figure to come and lovingly say, you know that I love you. Here's how we do this. Follow me. Follow, follow me. Some of you guys know my, my heart for, for low-income housing ministry and my heart breaks when I, I spend time in, all the way back from when I was a 17-year-old and discovered low-income housing ministry to, to, to today and every day going to the office, which happens to be in a, a housing development. You, you guys know my heart there that, man, I get in there and I see these kids that have these gaping father holes in their lives. Like you look around and there's almost no fathers present. And I just look and I say, they need a father. They need, they need someone to look to. And, and, and I believe for, for young Timothy even, Paul was a father. You, you, you read in, in 2 Timothy and we hear about his grandmother, Chloe, and his, his mother, Eunice. You hear nothing about a father. And so Paul steps in. I'll be a father figure to this guy. Come hang out with me. Follow my way of life. Right? And then he gets to send Timothy to then go be like a spiritual father to the, the church in, in Corinth. Right? And, and, and for you, there, there's, there's probably gaping father holes in your own life. And you need spiritual fathers, spiritual mothers, people to, to, to step up. So my, my question here for all of us, in addition to will you be a, a good brother or sister, is will you step up and be a, a spiritual parent where you need to be a spiritual parent? You got people in your life that, that desperately need that. Will you do the humble, not glamorous work of, of leading and urging? You notice he, he doesn't command them to do anything. Did you notice that? He says, I urge you. He, he urges them. Like, I'm pleading with you. He serves them. He loves them. He has hard conversations. He models. So here's how we want to close today. I just want to close with a call to action for these horizontal and, and vertical relationships that are so critical. Faith family, spiritual family, that, that's so critical. Here's my call to action. Would you today, this week, Take, would you take one, just one tangible step towards a deepening relationship with faith family? That's all I'm asking you. Just one tangible step. I'm, I'm into this little book right now, Mini Habits. Not M-A-N-Y, M-I-N-I, Mini Habits. And, and it's got this section in there, Too Small to Fail, right? And it's all about just, just one little thing. Sometimes we make these massive goals and we get nowhere, but a, a mini habit, like I, I heard this one guy one time, he, huge pectoral muscles, he was just jacked. And somebody said, what's your secret? He says, just do one push-up a day. <laughs> yeah, right. He goes, oh, I just committed to do one push-up a day. Okay. He says, but what I found is when I got on the ground and I did one push-up, well, I'm already down here. I might as well do 10, 20, and then just kind of, kind of grows. Half the effort is just getting there. And so I just, I've kind of had this thought in my head as of late that I just want to start calling our church family every week to just a small step. Believing that when you take one small step, it, it's going to probably lead to greater steps. As you say, wow, that wasn't so bad. Like if you haven't done push-ups in a very long time and you get down and you say, I, I do 100 push-ups, well, your arms are like T-Rex for the next three days because you like, can barely move them. But if you start small and then you incrementally grow, and I think that's kind of how it is with our faith. Like let's make some realistic goals. Let's not leave church every single week and say, I'm charging the gates of hell. I'm on a massive change. And I feel like we do that every single week, right? And we don't do anything. 
by the end of the year, we look back and we say, what have we done? But what if we just took little steps? And here's, here's a little step that I'm asking. Just one tangible step towards greater connectedness with faith family. Let me give you some ideas. I wrote some down. Maybe, maybe you could sign up for a group. Maybe you could actually just, in that card, that connection card, just check. Say, I'm interested. And, and, and they'll send you some more information about how to plug into a group. Maybe it's signing up to, to, to just hear more information about a team. You serve alongside of people. You get, get connected with people in that way, and you're not plugged in and serving in some capacity. Would you grab a serve card in the back and drop it in the, the, the box back there or on your connection card? Do that. Maybe, maybe for you it's invite somebody out to coffee. Before you leave today, maybe it's find somebody and say, hey, I'm going to take up that challenge that Josh said, and I'd love to hang out and get to know you a little bit better. Schedule coffee before you leave with somebody. Maybe, maybe you could leave today with somebody and go to Trillium around the corner and hang out. Or you, you can go and get you some, some, some food at, at Reds and Rossi's. Or so, do something, right? Like a, a real practical step towards just enjoying one of God's greatest gifts, spiritual family. Can we, can we take that challenge? You with me? Yeah? All right. I'm going to pray for us. God, thank you so much for uh, the scripture that you've given us.